Good evening. Uh, my name is Dinesh. Uh, this is my first time joining the Evensong service. I'm a regular at SMAC2, so every week on Sunday, I look across and wonder just what is going on there. So it is my great privilege to be able to be here and share in fellowship and look at God's word together. But before we begin, let's say a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, your word that speaks to us, that instructs us. It is through your word that you love us. It is through your word that you rebuke us. It is through your word that life is found. Help us, Lord, to come to your word with humbleness, that we will hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, keep your Bibles open at Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 39 to 49. There is an outline in the bulletin, if you'd care to follow that. When was the last time you rejoiced at the fact that the Messiah has come? Oftentimes, we tend to rejoice at all the good blessings that God has given us. Prayers answered, a promotion, an illness made well. But when was the last time that we rejoiced in the simple fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has actually come? Today, we look at the first people to hear the news that the Savior has come. And as we look at them and how they respond, let us reflect on our own attitude towards Jesus. Today's passage is from the Gospel of Luke, but before we dive in, we want to understand the context of the people in the story. You see, the people at this time have not heard or seen any miracles from God in their entire generation. The last message that they have heard from God was from the prophet Malachi, who wrote the last book in the Old Testament. And after that, 400 years of silence from God. No prophecies, no miracles. The promise that God has made about a prophet who will come to proclaim the coming of the Lord, the promise that God made, that God himself will come to save his people, this hope that the people has been clinging on to so far seemed to be an unfulfilled promise. It is with that that we come to this narrative in the Gospel of Luke. And we follow two storylines. One is about Zechariah and Elizabeth, who was barren, but conceived John the Baptist as promised by an angel of the Lord. And the other storyline is that of Mary, who conceived Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, today is St. Mary's Day, so it is very apt that we spend some time to look at what the Gospel reveals to us about her character. Come with me to verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went, into went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Mary was a young girl, and she has conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. She is traveling all the way here to Judah 
to the house of Zechariah to meet her cousin, Elizabeth. Now, at this point, Jesus was just a few days or a couple of weeks from, in, from conception. <clears throat> now, how do you think Mary would be feeling at this point? If Joseph will not marry her, she will bring great scandal to the family. In fact, remember that she is pregnant in a culture that stones people for adultery. How would you feel? But watch what happens when Elizabeth meets Mary. Verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Now, instead of something negative, we see a source of great encouragement and support for Mary through Elizabeth. Through Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit provides Mary with the support that enables her to respond rightly to her circumstances of the virgin conception. When Mary comes to meet Elizabeth, we see the baby John in Elizabeth's womb, the baby who will grow up to become John the Baptist. This baby leapt in the womb with joy to give a sign. Now, if we remember that in the book of Malachi, the last prophet who God promises to send is to come as a forerunner to the Messiah. He is going to be the one to prepare the way for the Lord. He is the one who prepares as God himself come to dwell with his people and solve the deepest longing in every heart. So you see, John the Baptist is the distillation of the entire Old Testament throughout all the books of the Old Testament, prophets after prophets point forward towards God's promises. John the Baptist is thus the greatest among the prophets because instead of pointing to the hope of the coming Messiah, he will point to the Messiah himself to identify him. And that is exactly what John fulfills here, even in the womb. In fact, if you think about it, John is the only preacher who ever uses the womb as a pulpit. His whole life is dedicated to the Messiah. God hinted in Genesis when he told Eve about the seed that will come from her, that this descendant will be the one who crushes the serpent under his heel. God told Abraham that through his seed will come a great blessing to the entire world. God told King David that through his seed will come a king who will be as a son to God and rule eternally. And as we look at this progression of that promise through one single unbroken line, we come to Mary where the seed has finally arrived. What is happening here is the head-on collision between the fullness and height of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, which perfectly fulfills the promises in the Old Testament. The baby leaps, the Holy Spirit works, Elizabeth blesses Mary, Mary praises God. This narrative shouts out to us, Behold! The Messiah comes. 
God's faithfulness and steadfast love is fully shown now. The mystery of God's salvation plan finally revealed. Next, we look at Elizabeth's response to this. In this threefold blessing that she pronounces, she shows us what true blessedness looks like. Come with me to the second half of verse 42. Second half of verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. When we think of blessing, maybe we are thinking about the circumstances of our lives, how well our children are doing, how happy we are. Or maybe some of us sees blessing as the ability to be able to do great things, winning in sports, getting all A's in examinations. But what does the Bible tell us about living the blessed life? Now we see here that Mary is blessed among women. The reason for her blessedness is revealed to us in verse 43. She is blessed because she has become the mother of the Lord, and now she can serve the Lord. And more than that, she is blessed because in verse 45, it says she hears the word of God and she believes it. This shows us that true blessing is not something that comes from something internal, it's not circumstantial, but rather, it is the reflection of God's glory reflecting on us. It's a little bit like the moon. Have you ever looked up at the moon when it's bright and thought to yourself, how beautiful is the moon? Well, if you think about it, actually, the moon was only reflecting the light from the sun. The moon is gloriously beautiful because the sun is abundantly glorious. There is beauty in the moon, but we want to know that it is the sun that provides that beauty. And in that same way, Mary is also blessed because of the sun. Her son, who is also her Lord. He who humbled himself, took on flesh, came down as a child, and thus allowing Mary to serve him. Now, at this point, we might be tempted to think that Mary is specially blessed because she bore Jesus in a womb. But we do see later in Luke, when someone shouts blessing to the womb that bore Jesus, and they were referring and giving blessing to Mary for her role in being the mother of Jesus, Jesus replied by saying, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So if we understand that, what is meant by Mary's blessing here is that she was able to hear the word of God, respond to it, and because of that, she was able to serve God. 
We are not blessed because of any greatness that we have, but rather, we are blessed as we reflect the glory of Jesus. We are blessed as we come to Christ to bask in His glory. We are blessed when we accept the great blessing that God provides through His Son for the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and adoption as His sons. We are blessed through believing in God's promises. We are blessed through faith in Christ. And that is exactly what Mary does in verse 45. Unlike Zechariah, whose house she's in, Mary hears God and believes in Him. Where Zechariah was cursed to become mute. Here, in this house, Mary is praised for being blessed. <coughs> True blessing is looking to Jesus and becoming more like Him daily and less like us as we seek to reflect Him. And in response to this blessing by Elizabeth, Mary sings, verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Here, we see Mary responding by bursting out with a song of praise. And the reason for this is she is coming to understand her role in the coming of the Messiah. And as she sees the fullness of God's promises coming forth in the Messiah, her response is to magnify the Lord and rejoice. She does not bring glory to herself. But rather, she points to God's greatness by praising and rejoicing in Him. The right response, therefore, is to see God as a fulfiller of His promises, to trust in His Word. And as an outpouring of that faith in God, we magnify God, we rejoice in God. With that, we now come to consider what does the passage speak in our lives? Firstly, we see the fulfillment of the expectation of the entire Old Testament. The problem of sin and death is being dealt with by the coming of the Savior. It is such a magnificent thing that this woman could not keep quiet about it but instead burst out in praises. When has the gospel led you to such joy? When was the last time that you couldn't stop yourself from gossiping the gospel to others? When you couldn't stop yourself from giving praises to God? All too often, it's easier to stop ourselves from sharing the gospel than it is to get started. What we need to be doing 
is to internalize the magnitude of just what it means for Christ to have finally come down to earth. It isn't just for our personal salvation. He isn't just a friend who comes to give us good things. He's bigger than that. He comes to bring restoration and salvation to the entire creation. Behold all creatures, your king is here. Bow down, worship. And if you can see that, then gossip the gospel. Tell it to everyone. Let this be the greatest news that you have ever heard, the greatest news that you want to share with everyone, because it is. Secondly, if we understand true blessedness means to look to Christ, to reflect Him more and more in our lives, we would realize that it would mean a life of sacrifice, meagerness, servant-heartedness. And all of this, the world won't recognize as blessedness. But if you are a true follower of Christ, then teach your children, teach yourself how true blessedness looks like. Ask yourself, if your child suddenly says, he or she wants to be a full-time gospel worker. Would you discourage that and instead try to push the idea of law, engineering, medicine to them? Do we teach them you need to be wise, you need to earn a good salary, or do we teach them be sacrificial, seek the kingdom of God first, Look for a job that best allows you to serve God with what skills you have. What are we teaching others about life and blessing? And as you think through this question, it will reveal if you truly understand that true blessedness comes from being Christ-like in service to others and in sacrifice. If we hold on to material blessings and seek a comfortable life, these are not true blessings. And there is a need for us to change in how we see things. Lastly, having seen that God is the one who truly keeps His promises, do we see God as the all-capable God who's able to bring about great reversals? Do we trust in this God who has promised to bring about an end to sin and death and restore all of creation? And are we living like we fully trust this God? Do we reject sin, trusting that God is right in condemning sin? Or do we secretly chase after them as long as no one in church knows about it. Do we trust in God's forgiveness and come to Christ as we become convicted of our sins? Or do we try to do good things to get into God's good boy book? Is the gospel something that you truly believe 
and that you shout it out from the top of the mountains? Or do we shut our mouths out of fear of offending people with the gospel? If we trust God, then there will be changes in our lives. We may be powerless to affect these changes on our own. It is a struggle. But we have a mighty God who enables us to please Him in a new and fresh way. So let us look to the example of Mary, Elizabeth, John. Let us diminish and therefore magnify the name of the Lord in all the things that we do so that He can be fully glorified through us. Let's come to God in prayer. Father, Father, we struggle to love you. We struggle to fully put our trust in you. We struggle to live the way that you want us to live. Father, we pray for conviction. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, you will be working in our hearts, helping us to change, helping us to live the true blessed life of coming to Christ, of being sacrificial, of serving our God. And Lord, we know that this is difficult. And this is not something we can do on our own. So we beg you, Father, grant us this gift that we will love you more and more with every passing day. In Jesus' name we pray.